My name is Waleed Lang and I have been elected by acclamation, I might say, to introduce our guest speaker for this evening. His name is Muhammad Abdul Hakim Thomas. He was born in Belgium, but he was reared in New York, where he purchased the Quran at the age of 11 and accepted Islam seven years later in 1985. He has an MA in Applied Linguistics and a BA in Music. He has participated in translations of Islamic publications from English to Mali and has conducted several Islamic lectures both in the Kingdom and in the U.S. He is currently working as a lecturer at King Saud University in the English Department in the Institute of Languages and Translation. Today's topic is Thoughts on Music and Islam. Thank you. And there are among men those who purchase idle talk in order to mislead others from Allah's path without knowledge and who throw ridicule upon it. For such there will be a humiliating punishment. Do you marvel at this statement and laugh at those and laugh and do not weep while you amuse yourselves proudly in vanities. Rather prostrate before Allah and worship Him. Uh, the topic tonight is, are some thoughts on music in Islam. Um, as my introducer mentioned, I have a lot of experience in that area and I've spent most of my life studying music very seriously. I want to begin by saying that music is of course everywhere. It's something that's uh, part of being human. You find music in every society all over the world. Just like you find marriage or you find language or you find uh, folklore or dancing. This is something that you find in all cultures. From Mecca to Mississippi you'll find this. Music surrounds us everywhere, wherever we go. If we're on a bus, if we're on a train, walking around, uh, television, of course, film. Uh, we find music is just, um, is just everywhere. Now, Islam, of course, as we know, is a comprehensive religion dealing with all aspects of life, and music is no exception. Islam uh, does talk about music and teaches us about music, just as it teaches us about marriage and folklore and the other things that I mentioned earlier. 
things that are part of being human. Islam is not silent about music, although some people say so. We find that uh, there is some controversy, actually, among Muslims uh, concerning music. And I can say from the outset that I'm not here to uh, settle every controversy, simply because I'm not qualified to do so. However, I hope, inshallah, that I am qualified uh, to give you nasiha as a Muslim and as someone who has a little bit of experience in these matters. So, inshallah, tonight I hope we can look, uh, take a look at music in light of our religion, in light of Islam, and in light of some experience, uh, both personal experience and experience of those in our society. As I mentioned before, I spent most of my life studying music. I started when I was about maybe this big with the Suzuki method of uh, violin, which is um, a method by which you give uh, the person the instrument and just tell them to go and play. And then later on, we'll develop into great musicians, supposedly. Uh, later on, I studied uh, a piano and guitar and baritone and several instruments, and also music theory. And later on, I went to the university. I attended this uh, Indiana University School of Music, which is the largest music school uh, in the United States, uh, where I studied classical and, and jazz piano. Before that, though, I had a lot of experience uh, playing music professionally and also teaching music. I taught piano for, uh, for a long time to adults and to children, and uh, also taught music theory. And I've had some very interesting experiences working as a musician. Now we find in the West, as well as in the East, that many times the people who are involved in music tend to have a certain character. We find, for example, that people who are very, very serious about music sometimes tend to get a little bit arrogant about it. Uh, we find, for example, uh, classical musicians will practice eight hours a day, and they're very, very serious about it. So serious that they feel that people who don't do that are not real musicians, and they should not waste their time being around such people. We find also, a lot of the time, among musicians we find things like drug abuse and other corruption. Uh, we find this also among people who are involved in, in other arts. Um, a lot of the time artists feel that uh, they are a segment of society that do not need to follow the same rules as the rest of the society, that they are somehow special, and that they are on the cutting edge of uh, the way the world should be. And they will reject the norms of the society, um, such as religion, for example, and such as other conventions. Um, I found in my experience that, um, that drugs particularly was a very, very, very uh, large part of the music, um, music scene. Not only with rock music and, and jazz music, but even with classical music. People become involved in drug abuse. We know, of course, that music is so powerful and it affects emotions to such an extent that it can be, in fact, a substitution for spirituality. People become so involved in music, it becomes like, uh, like a religion, almost. And uh, they have a spiritual experience uh, brought about uh, by both listening to music or, and or playing the music. One of my experiences I had when I was a teenager, I was playing in a rock band. And we were hired to play at uh, one particular club. Uh, for uh, a child's confirmation. A confirmation is something that's done in the Catholic Church in which uh, a young man or young woman, young man in this case, is uh, confirmed as a Catholic 
from this point on he is considered an adult uh, Catholic. And so we went to, to play uh, the music at this, at this confirmation, and the father of the child came to us, and he came to me in particular and said, listen, if you guys want to do anything, just go ahead and do it. If you want to do anything beforehand, go ahead. So we said, well, we thought it sounded kind of strange, but we said, yeah, okay, okay. And then later he came back again because he thought that maybe we didn't understand him. And he said, remember, I'm saying you can do anything you want beforehand so that you'll, you'll play the music very well. And he said, uh, okay, okay. Finally he said, look, if you want to go and smoke some marijuana or take some other drugs, just go ahead and do it. <laughs> because his feeling was that if we were high and if we were under the influence of these drugs, that we would play very, very well. <laughs> so we happened to have some drugs with us at the time. And we, um, he invited us um, to his van. He had a van there. And he said, just stay in here for a little while and do whatever you want. <laughs> so naturally, we, uh, we did what he asked. And we came back with our minds not really with us. And when we got back, we started playing the music. And uh, we, we thought it was good. And we found that we had a tremendous effect on, on the people that were there. That they were ready to do anything that we told them to do. Uh, the lead singer, for example, uh, told all these people, um, there was a large display uh, at the area. He says, you know, just take part of it and break it. Take one balloon and pop it. And the whole place was destroyed in a matter of, of seconds. It was incredible. Um, so not only were we not quite with our senses, but the rest of the people there were not with their senses at all. Now, of course, there are two things operating here, both the drugs and the music, but they came together. And we find that oftentimes um, they come together. Um, Later on, of course, we found out that the, the club was were very angry at us for causing all this damage, and, and the boy's mother was very angry at us, even though the father was the one who wanted us to get so high in the first place. That's just one of many, many experiences. Oftentimes we found that, that when we were using drugs and playing the music, we thought we were just playing the best music that ever, that ever happened, ever, in the whole world. We'd be playing and say, wow, this is great. And then the next day, when we were no longer under, under the influence of the drugs, we would listen to the tapes and say, wow. That's terrible. How did that happen? Um, but of course, that was the effect of the drug. Now, I'd like to take a look now at some of the major music personalities um, in the world, uh, particularly in the West. Um, of course, if I talk about rock and roll, everybody knows that these people are often involved in such activities. You find um, some music singers, for example, uh, use so much drugs that they die of it. Um, I can think of another one in particular who um, would have so much sex when he was out uh, doing his concerts that he actually took out paternity insurance so that in case a woman were to sue him and say, hey, I'm carrying your child, he'd say, hey, no problem. I have insurance. So there's nothing to worry about. This is true. Uh, for example, we find in America the personality of Elvis um, Elvis is a singer who became so popular that he was almost worshipped. And I've heard uh, one woman in particular talk about believing in Elvis uh, after, the, after he had died. Uh, some people, of course, claim that he never died. Uh, people collect relics of Elvis, just like they might try to collect a relic of, of Jesus Christ. This is a piece of the cross on which Jesus was crucified. They'll say, this is a piece of tile from the floor of Elvis's bathroom. This is true. This is a piece of Elvis's hair. And they will have auctions in which they sell these things 
for hundreds and hundreds of dollars, even thousands of dollars. A photograph I once saw of Elvis with his signature on got $500, easily, from someone who wanted a piece of that. Um, we find the much celebrated Beatles, for example, were uh, drug addicts. Uh, John Lennon uh, was a heroin addict. And although he's often remembered for uh, talking about giving peace a chance, um, he was really into giving a, a peace a chance, P-I-E-C-E, and uh, a, piece of, uh, a piece of some sort of drug. Um, and there are many, many others who, who, who found a similar fate. In the field of jazz, jazz music, jazz music is, uh, is an Afro-American art um, uh, that came about in the, in the 20th century. We find that just about all of the major figures were deeply involved in drugs and other corruptions. Um, Jelly Roll Morton, he was the first great composer of jazz music. And he was a pimp. A pimp is somebody who sells a woman as a prostitute. This is his profession. He did music on the side. He was a hustler. He cheated people out of their money. And he was extraordinarily arrogant about his music. He claimed to have invented jazz on such and such a date and thought that nobody else was any good. And he is the, the father of jazz competition. Um, Duke Ellington and Dizzy Gillespie, they were involved in... Um, in the big band era, in which they would play music and people would dance, men and women dancing together, uh, just going crazy. Um, Charlie Parker is another one who was uh, celebrated as probably one of the greatest musical geniuses of jazz ever. And he died a heroin addict. Although he was considered a genius, he spent a lot of his time lying down in the gutter in the street and died like that. Um, Coleman Hawkins was an alcoholic, another great uh, jazz musician. Um, John Coltrane also died a heroin addict. And of course, Miles Davis, who died recently, he survived his drug addiction days, but um, uh, but died died recently after many years. Now, maybe you haven't heard these names before, uh, but maybe some of you have, and you realize that these are the giant figures in jazz music, and they all ended up with that sort of end. In classical music, a lot of the time in the West we think of the classical composers as being such um, lofty uh, figures, very disciplined, very intelligent, geniuses. Um, but we find that uh, Mozart, for example, was an alcoholic, had all his girlfriends. He was sort of a party animal. He was also a mason. He belonged to uh, the Masonic cult and um, and was, was deeply, deeply involved in that, and even wrote one opera um, involving uh, the Muslim world, and Turkey in particular. We find that Beethoven, who again is celebrated as probably one of the greatest composers ever, uh, was really a, a sort of a crazy man. He used to um, urinate out of his window um, anytime he felt like it. His house was a complete mess. Um, he would yell, and he was very grouchy all the time, and um, people couldn't get along with him. Interestingly, he became deaf towards the end of his life, couldn't hear anything, and at that time uh, composed uh, what's considered a very great piece of music. Um, uh, Mendelssohn, for example, uh, was a Jewish composer, um, and he was hated by another composer of his time named Wagner. Who was, uh, Wagner was sort of a pre-Nazi. He hated Jews, and therefore he hated Mendelssohn, and um, he was so arrogant he felt that he was just God's gift to the world because he knew how to write opera. His operas would go on for hours and hours and hours.
Schumann, also another great composer, he lost his mind completely and ended up in an insane asylum. And of course there was Schoenberg, who was a 20th century composer. Uh, he was so arrogant that um, he told the world that he had just created a new system of musical notation and composition uh, to ensure German superiority in music uh, for the next century. Ironically, he was thrown out of Germany because he was a Jew and he was thrown out uh, by the Nazis. So we find that all these great people in music actually had um, uh, very strange uh, lifestyles often involving self-destructive behavior. behavior. Um, I want to emphasize also that uh, in the East, um, perhaps you have, uh, music may, may be looked upon as something that, you know, maybe a silly person does. Uh, but in the West, it is taken with the, with the extreme uh, seriousness. I remember when I was in music, music school, we found people, they practiced all the time, all the time, just constantly practicing, trying to make their art perfect. And the music just simply becomes an end unto itself. So if we look at the professions uh, of music, we find that it's usually associated uh, with things like, as I mentioned, alcohol and drugs. It's often associated with mixed dancing, meaning dancing between uh, men and women. It's often associated with uh, religion. Um, and of course, there's not uh, music in, in the Islamic tradition, as far as worship goes, if we ignore some Sufi things. Um, therefore, it's usually Christian. Um, and also uh, parlor music, which people like to sit around and have a little drink and, and pretend that they're very sophisticated while they listen to, to a musician. So we find that, that this sort of profession in itself is very, very, very questionable for someone who is a Muslim. A Muslim is someone who is supposed to stay away from drugs, stay away from alcohol, stay away from self-destructive behavior in general. So we find that before we've even looked at any hadith, or anything uh, from the Sunnah, we find that the lifestyle of the musician is very, very, very questionable indeed. <clears throat> Oftentimes in song, when people um, sing, um, we find that some of the biggest topics uh, for song are often un-Islamic things as well. When people sing, they often sing about uh, romantic love, um, or premarital sex, or dancing, or rebellion against society, um, youth culture, and even suicide, and, and even uh, worship of, of, of other gods and this sort of thing. An extreme example in the West might be um, this heavy metal music, which often includes uh, satanic songs and groups. Um, one in particular is called Merciful Fate. This is the name of a band from, from uh, Scandinavia. And they were uh, Satanists. They just came out and said, yes, we worship Satan. Satan is the one that we love. And one song uh, is quoted, my, it ends with a statement, My sweet Satan, named Shaitan. My sweet Satan, you are the one. And they openly worship Satan. In my area, in, in New York, there was one young man about 13 um, who was murdered in a satanic ritual involving this uh, kind of music. His eyes were gouged out of his head before he was murdered. There have also been several suicides associated with this kind of music. Um, two suicides in particular also happened in the Midwest, in the United States, 
Two young men were listening to a Judas Priest album. That's the name of one of these groups. And they just became so high with the music that they just decided that they should kill themselves. And they took their shotguns. People in the country often have shotguns. And they went out of the house, and the first one took it, shot himself in the head, and killed himself on the spot. Now, the second young man, he felt maybe he shouldn't do it. But now he felt committed because his son, and his, uh, his friend had just killed himself. So he thought that he'd better do it too. And he started reciting uh, what he had heard, or what he thought he heard in the music. Uh, do it, do it, do it. And he shot himself. We know the story because he survived for a short time. And his family came and he told them that they had listened to the music and, and they felt um, inspired to kill themselves for that. In the same area, there was another young man listening to heavy metal music who decided to kill himself. He shot himself in the head with a shotgun, but was unsuccessful with his suicide. And now he's um, very uh, disformed, deformed and, and disfigured. Um, the first case that I mentioned was, was so shocking to people that they decided to try to legislate uh, heavy metal music and music in general to try to get people to say, well, look, um, maybe we shouldn't listen to this music. Something's wrong here. And they petitioned the government, they went to the Capitol, and they said, look, we've got to regulate music. We've got to put warning labels on these records, on these CDs, to warn people about the music. This music might cause something bad to happen. Um, of course, in the United States, we have you know, these different freedoms, so none of these laws have ever gone through. But there was a very strong and active movement to try to get not only some music bands, but also to, uh, to try to warn people about this music. Another example is, um, is one group, um, it was a rap group, and they used to sing about sex all the time, uh, even rape and, and abuse of women. And people tried to get them arrested also. In fact, they were arrested, and they tried to ban the music. But again, because of uh, certain freedoms, uh, mentioned in the laws of the United States, everything was thrown out, and they were allowed to continue um, their music. Of course, this controversy always generates much more interest than, than should actually be there about uh, about this music. As soon as something becomes controversial, everybody says, hey, we want to buy the record that caused somebody to shoot themselves. We want to buy the record uh, that caused somebody to rape somebody. And they immediately try to listen to it more and more. And so the problem grows. So, of course, we can easily agree that as Muslims, um, any music that calls someone to something that is un-Islamic must be completely and totally avoided. So any song having to do with uh, doing something with haram, a drinking song, for example, absolutely must be completely avoided. Uh, something asking you to dance with this beautiful girl, uh, not, not permissible uh, in Islam. Now, one could also easily argue that, well, if we have some music that doesn't have any words in it, maybe that would be allowed. Uh, because there's nobody singing or telling you to do anything. It's just music, and I could sit down and relax and listen to music. So at this point, um, we should turn to the Islamic literature and try to see what is actually said um, about music. Again, I want to mention that I'm not a scholar, um, but I can convey some things that are in our literature, inshallah. Um, there are some Quranic verses dealing with um, what some say is music, um, which we recited at the very beginning. Uh, some people say that this vain talk applies to music. Others disagree, um, but there is that opinion. We also find in the Hadith literature, though, 
authentic hadith dealing dealing with music. Uh, this one hadith is from uh, Bukhari, and it goes as follows: The Prophet ﷺ said, "There will be, there will be, meaning at some future time, there will be people from my ummah, or from the community of Muslims, who will seek to make lawful." fornication, the wearing of silk, wine drinking, and the use of musical instruments. Some people will stay at the side of a mountain, and when the shepherd comes in the evening to ask them for his needs, they will say, return to us tomorrow. Then Allah will destroy them during the night by causing the mountain to fall upon them, while he changes others into apes and swine. They will remain in such a state until the day of judgment. Now the part that interests us here is there will be a people of my ummah who will make lawful fornication, the wearing of silk, wine drinking, and the use of musical instruments. Now we all know very clearly that fornication, meaning sex between people who are not married, is absolutely forbidden. It's absolutely forbidden and not permissible in Islam. We know that the wearing of silk, for men anyway, for women it's permissible, but for men is uh, prohibited, uh, for, for Muslim men, just as gold is. Wine drinking, we know is forbidden for, uh, for Muslims. And the, use of, and the use of musical instruments is included in, in these things. Furthermore, the Prophet وسلم, is saying here that the nation will seek to make lawful these things and musical instruments is included among those things uh, that we all know are haram. There is another hadith uh, narrated by uh, Ibn Majah from the Kitab al-Fitan, which goes as follows. The Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, A people of my ummah will drink wine, calling it by other than its real name. Merriment which means joy, having a good time. Merriment will be made for them through the playing of musical instruments and the singing of lady singers, or women singers. Allah will cleave the earth under them and turn others into apes and swine. This is an authentic hadith. An authentic hadith. In another one, the Prophet said, Verily Allah prohibited wine, gambling, and al-Qubah, and every intoxicant is prohibited. Sufyan said, I asked the narrator, Ali bin Bazima, what is al-Qubah? He answered, it is the drum. And in another text, Allah's Messenger said, Verily Allah has prohibited from my ummah wine, gambling, a drink distilled from corn, the drum and the lute, while he supplemented me with another prayer, the wicker. Now here the lute means a type of, uh, uh, a type of guitar that was used at that time. It's not exactly the European lute, but a sort of stringed instrument uh, played like this. So we find uh, several narrations in which uh, the Prophet uh, is mentioning that people in, in the future time will, will try to make this permissible. 
And um, many people have said that this obviously means that musical instruments, when, when mentioned like this by the Prophet, must also be haram. Now, for some reason, we, there's been some controversy about this matter. For example, uh, the scholar from Muslim Spain, Ibn Hazm, and also uh, Abu Bakr ibn Arabi, um, have permitted music. Um, Ibn Hazm, for example, uh, he wrote that every hadith related, uh, meaning prohibiting music and singing, is false and forged, meaning that, this is, that these are not true. And Ibn Arabi said that there is no authentic hadith prohibiting uh, singing. Furthermore, recently, more recently, Yusuf Qadawi wrote a book that is popularly read uh, called The Halal and the Haram in Islam, in which he takes uh, exactly this point of view, that, well, there's nothing authentic about music, therefore we can't say that music is really haram. Uh, however, we could say that if music is about something bad or if a song is about something bad, that we can, uh, we can reject that, but we can't say that music is actually haram. Um, I myself personally asked Jamal Bedouin, دعوة صغيرة ضد الدين شيئا وتك العقولة وحك العقولة وتك تقربوا في إلى يوسف وإنسان ومعنى واحد ويتبالى صغيرة وتنك العقية عدد صغيرة صغيرة وحو ويان يوم كاغوة فقال يا مكاس وإلى النقطة وجهة أسكوني لليس إلى دلائل رأي الكريم سبحانه وتعالى وانصوشوا إن عليم دائرا ساترات الدلائل سبحانه وتعالى وحليها يعني وحو ويان وعبد ربك حتى يأتيك اليقين وعبد ربك حتى يأتيك اليقين حد ما إلا كيرينك يجمال إذا ربك عبدا إذا ندوى علمه وتخرب إله الوضع والوضع وأبحوا يا الله دعوه كل ذلك وحوي أن رشعه ضنين في الله حتى الله 
ما ما كتبناها عليهم الا ابتغاء رضوان الله فما رعوها حق رعايتها. اوجد سوفنيو يقول كل الزميل والى سبحانه وتعالى اسم كل الزميل. اني اسمي من كنت عمري. تعطي كل الزميل لكن الى سبحانه وتعالى كل الزميل معه. هاي كل الزميل ما بس ما تري ومركي ورا واحد كل الزميل وإتان كان كذا اي كوب صوم عافيه. صوم عيكي ملاهي كل عباده تجري معنا واحد um, I myself personally asked Jamal Bedouin, who is not really a scholar, but he's a, a very famous guy uh, who lives in Canada. Um, and he had the same opinion. That, well, we can't really say that music is haram. Um, however, if it accompanies something bad, um, then it would be haram. But in and of itself, it's not really haram. Now, it's interesting to note that, um, that these scholars, for some reason, don't mention the hadith that I just mentioned. Um, Yusuf Qadawi, uh, for example, um, um, he doesn't mention this hadith in his book. Uh, oftentimes these people mention the hadith uh, with um, Aisha, in which the Prophet was with Aisha, and they were watching this, um, uh, this training going on, and they pointed that as, as showing that the Prophet approved of music. However, if you look at the hadith, you don't find anything about uh, uh, music in, in that hadith. If we look at the opinions of the four Imams, meaning uh, the founders of the modern schools of Sikh, Hanafi, Malik, uh, Shafi, and, and Handali, we find that Hanafi considered all music haram. He just uh, rejected, rejected all of it completely. Um, and he was probably the, the, most, the most severe uh, against any kind of music. Uh, Malik, uh, of course, who was born um, about a hundred years uh, after the Prophet وسلم, said, uh, in fact, uh, that singing um, is done by the sinful ones. Someone had asked him about, well, what did the people in, in Medina say about, about the singing? And he said, well, in Medina, it's the sinful people who do this. And this is, uh, this is from Malik. Shafi said that the song is makru. He said that it resembles the false and vain thing, al-batr. It resembles that, that falsehood. The one who partakes of it frequently is an incompetent fool whose testimony is to be rejected. So for example, if you have a person who, who partakes in this sort of thing all the time, you cannot take his testimony in a court because he's involved in all this foolishness. This is Shafi. Um, Hanbal, he felt that, um, he called it a bidah. And during his time, it, uh, it became popular for people to sing songs about religion and about uh, piety and this sort of thing. But he called it a bidah and a curse innovation. 
although he didn't disapprove of some uh, religious songs, uh, but generally in singing, uh, he, he, he didn't really like it at all. So we find that, that all four of the imams were, were um, against this sort of thing. Although, of course, we see that, that uh, there are some exceptions, which I'll go into later, uh, that they did permit. Um, there's one hadith that talks about uh, the Eid festivals. Aisha said, Allah's Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, entered into my presence while two young girls were singing the song of wrath. Whereupon he laid down and turned his face away. Abu Bakr entered and scolded me, saying, The flute of Satan in front of the Prophet, Allah's Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said, or turned to Abu Bakr, saying, Leave them be. Aisha continued, When the Prophet dozed off, I signaled to them, and they left. In another narration of Abu Qadi, Aisha mentioned that her father Abu Bakr came to her during the days of Mina. There were two young girls with her beating upon the dust, while the Prophet was covered with his cloth. Then Abu Bakr began scolding the girls, whereupon the Prophet disclosed his face from under the covering and said, Leave them, Abu Bakr. These are days of the Eid festival. So some scholars have concluded that uh, on days of Eid, that this sort of thing is permissible. Uh, likewise, for the wedding feast, the Prophet said, um, the demarcation between the unlawful and the lawful in marriage is the deaf and the voice. Also, uh, Aisha related that the Prophet said, proclaim this marriage, solemnize it in the mosque, and beat the deaf upon its occasion. So there, there are some exceptions um, that some of the scholars uh, have permitted um, about music and about singing. But again, of course, the, uh, the principles are always there that it should never be something un-Islamic. There is also the opinion, however, that, um, that even drum playing and singing is not something that should be done commonly, but only done in these certain uh, situations. Some even say that it's not something that should be done, um, that should be done by men and uh, should be done by women, only among other women. Um, Another uh, exception that some scholars also uh, permit are songs dealing with uh, jihad or songs dealing with welcome, welcoming uh, um, a pious person to a particular place, for example, or work chants in which uh, people are working, they allowed some uh, songs to make the work go a little bit easier or to keep uh, some workers in rhythm. Um, also to encourage a riding animal. If you have an animal that is not uh, riding properly, they allowed some of these uh, chants and also for uh, a parent to a child to, for example, comfort a baby. Um, they have no problem with the, with the mother singing to a child in, in that circumstance. But again, there's the agreement about uh, the musical instruments uh, based on, on the sunnah, some of which I mentioned earlier. Now, as we know, music is, is such a part of our lives, whether we like it or not, some more than others. And so I'd like to mention some alternatives to music. And the first of which, obviously, is the Qur'an. Learning the Qur'an is one of the best things that we can do, and even better than learning it is to learn it and put it into practice. Um, Abu Huraira reported that Allah's Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said, whoever does not chant the Qur'an is not one of us. And, uh, and Al-Barra bin Aziz related that Allah's Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said, 
adorn the Qur'an with your voices. Meaning when you make recitation of the Qur'an to make it sound nice, then to do so with the utmost respect and to do it with the proper pronunciation. So this is something that we're all enjoined to do. And the Qur'an is something much better than any sort of song about somebody's girlfriend or about anything else for that matter. Also there are uh, some Islamic songs that encourage people, unaccompanied by music, uh, to encourage people to, uh, to do righteous deeds, to encourage us to uh, remember Allah and to remember the, the Muslims who are in trouble. Um, this is something else that we can uh, avail ourselves. Uh, zikr is something else, the remembrance of Allah, uh, the reciting of certain uh, prayers is something else. And of course there are the physical activities and sports and uh, uh, recreation. Uh, to get ourselves away from from this questionable matter. So in Islam we know that our lives are very, very short and our lives are very, very precious because this is the preparation uh, to go into the hereafter. And frankly speaking, we don't have a lot of time uh, for a lot of fooling around and a pursuit in something that's not going to benefit us. In my life I've spent a tremendous amount of time in music only for the sake of music to improve it, play better, try to compose better and make better sounds. But this is not something that really um, benefits me other than being able to do it. We know for certain that our deeds will take with us into the grave and into the hereafter. So a good deed, our charity, our recitation of Quran, our prayers, our kindness to each other, to our families, and our learning Islamic knowledge is something that we will bring into the hereafter with us that we know will benefit us. And this is something that we should um, spend more time with. Instead of spending more time with something that would just be a complete waste or more seriously will also come with us into the hereafter and might bring punishment onto us. May Allah protect us from that. So, um, with that nasiha, again I'm saying that I'm not making any fatwa here, as I'm not qualified to do so, but there are many people who are qualified, and I suggest anyone who has any questions in this matter to seek out uh, the religious scholars who know about this matter and can talk much more about what is said in the Qur'an, what is said about the uh, Sahaba and the Tabi'in, our pious predecessors about this matter, and, um, and to do serious research with sincerity, with sincerity. If I approach this issue trying to find permissibility for me to go ahead and continue with my lifestyle with music, maybe I could probably twist it to make it mean exactly that. But if we approach this issue and other issues with complete sincerity, inshallah Allah will guide us uh, to the correct choice and um, will make us successful inshallah. So I want to thank you all for coming and listening to my short talk. Um, I'd be happy to take any questions. Although, um, although, as I mentioned before, I'm not really qualified to talk about um, the Islamic literature. Um, but I'd be happy to talk about uh, about music. Okay? Yes. Yeah. Uh, the question is, um, um, what can we say about the Muslims of, of Muslim Spain and their uh, contributions uh, to music? Uh, well, as I understand, the Muslims of, of Spain were very good musicians. Um, in fact, they were in the process of really refining the art. Um, at the time that they were thrown out of Spain, and uh, perhaps they were eventually related. Um, there were some developments of um, the written 
uh, uh, the written manuscript of music that was taking place at that time. Uh, later on, after the Muslims were expelled, the Europeans uh, took that and, of course, their own innovations and developed uh, the very, very sophisticated system of musical notation. Um, it's said that um, Spanish Muslims invented the guitar. Um, however, if we think that they invented the guitar, we can't say um, all guitars because I just mentioned the Mr. Prophet article and talked about a lute, which is a type of guitar-like instrument. So, um, exactly how that instrument differs from other similar instruments, uh, I'm not really sure. Um, but the Muslims of Spain were, were very involved in music. And um, incidentally, they were also involved in many other corruptions, which, uh, as you know, led to their downfall. Uh, similarly, if we look at Turkey and the Ottomans, we find a similar case. Great musicians, great dancers, great, um, uh, great uh, wealth and spending of wealth, and um, perhaps this also led to the uh, downfall. Okay, um, the brother mentioned, uh, to summarize, that, um, that music um, has taken Muslims away from uh, the seriousness of our religion and has uh, distracted Muslims. And he repeated the, the ayat that we mentioned earlier. And um, he stated that Ibn Masud uh, said that this idle talk referred to in the Quran is, uh, is sinning. And also uh, he mentioned the hadith that we mentioned earlier. Um, I just want to mention that uh, as far as taking Muslims away from the seriousness, it's interesting to note that um, in times past when, uh, when Israel was at war with uh, the Arab countries, uh, that the uh, Israelis used to play in Kalfum, this famous Egyptian singer, used to play the music and broadcast it to the Arab areas. Interesting. Um, there's another question here. Uh, is it haram to sing in your own home without instruments, uh, especially children's songs? Uh, to my understanding, no, it is not haram to do so. And that's one of the exceptions that I mentioned earlier, uh, that, um, um, that if a parent, for example, is singing uh, a song with a child, provided, of course, the song is not uh, uh, inviting evil or uh, dealing with the worship of something other than Allah or... Um, some sort of vulgarity or anything. So long as it's something that's, uh, that's Islamically acceptable, that this is okay. There is no consensus, so to say, on uh, whether music is uh, haram, you know, and plainly haram or otherwise. I think that, uh, like some people are trying to suggest, that uh, music is like other aspects of human culture which uh, can accommodate uh, I mean which can be corrupted and uh, which is also capable of being defined I think that uh, like some people are trying to suggest that we can reform music I mean reforming it will be uh, less uh, demanding uh, than you know, uh, prohibiting it entirely. It has been in human nature. And so it seems so I mean so it's likely to remain. I mean, especially in Muslim societies, if you can suggest ways by which music can be refined. And then I mean even though we cannot say that uh, we are Islamizing it, like uh those people are trying to say. I don't know what what's your view about that. That we allow the music to stay and suggest ways of defining it to make it a little bit objective. Um, the brother brings up several different points. Um, of course, as I mentioned in the very beginning, music is a part of all cultures. 
uh, even Muslim cultures, it's here. And um, it's deeply ingrained in, in, the, in the soul of human beings. And um, it's probably not going to go anywhere if we, if we judge uh, history as any indication of what may happen in the future. But music will probably always be um, in our societies, in some segments of, of our societies always. And also, uh, the brother mentioned that, that music is a part of human achievement. Um, I might mention some other things also that, of course, are also part of being human. Um, the examples may seem a little bit extreme, but think about it. Um, killing, for example, is something that is part of human society since the very, very beginning. War, um, cheating, um, zinna. Uh, people have been smoking marijuana for thousands of years. And um, people have gone to tremendous lengths. And one of the, the greatest technical achievements that we have are in weaponry, figuring out ways to kill each other. And um, I hope that, uh, that this would not be some sort of uh, way to, um, to say that these things are, are necessarily good. Now, I don't mean to equate music necessarily with killing, but I'm saying that things that are part of being human are not always necessarily good. And this is why we have religion. This is why Allah gives us uh, a guide to live our lives, to stay away from the bad things that are part of our world, and to, uh, and to go into the good things, to make uh, choices between what's right and what's wrong. Um, this is what our religion is all about. Um, the brother also mentioned uh, reforming music instead of uh, um, not allowing it completely, um, to make it, uh, to give it maybe more of an Islamic flavor uh, possibly instead of uh, just uh, prohibiting it, necessarily. But the question comes down to, well, what did the Prophet say about music? Okay? I mentioned a little bit, some of what he said, um, in authentic narrations, uh, during my talk just now, in which the Prophet mentioned musical instruments, along with these other things. Um, the other source, uh, to look at, look at, of course, is the Qur'an. Now, someone could easily say, well, music is not really mentioned in the Qur'an. Okay. But let's look at the opinions of the earliest Muslims. The earliest Muslims, whose opinions are better than ours could ever be, because they knew the Prophet, personally. And they could ask him questions, they lived with him. And the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa said that the best generation was his generation. They, they were with him. They saw the Prophet. They lived with him. They knew him in a way that we could never know. And the next generation after him, will be the next step, and the next step about the next. So if we want to learn something about our religion, it naturally behooves us to look at what the Prophet said, and what his companions said, the people who were with him and knew him best, and knew the religion best. And after that, the next generation. Okay, the Tadayim, the people who came after that. And then the people who came after that, to see what they said. Not only about music, but about any issue. Let's see what their opinion is, because their opinions are stronger. I've mentioned some of the, the opinions of the, of the early Imams, um, but there are other opinions. Um, the brother mentioned uh, Ibn Masood saying that this is singing. Ibn Abbas made a similar uh, um, analysis of the same thing. Um, so that's my suggestion: is to go back and see what these what these say. Um, saying that it's part of uh, part of, of, of being human, or part of being culture, uh, part of uh, um, human culture, is uh, not an argument in support of, of, of doing something necessarily. So we have to go back to the basics, the very basics of our religion. Because that's our foundation of our religion. That's the foundation that can never be changed. When we need to know something about the religion, we can tell the Quran, the Sunnah, the opinions of the earliest, 
of the earliest Muslims and those who came afterwards. Um, so that's my, my, my best suggestion. Again, I'm not a scholar making a fatwa here, but I'm saying look into the issue so that there won't be any doubt. Um, as I mentioned before, I was a musician deeply involved in this, deeply involved in music. And um, I don't want you to think that I'm coming up with some sort of reaction uh, having become a Muslim. It was several years in which I looked into the issue and um, kept trying to, uh, um, to justify it and continue it in different ways. So uh, my best advice to anyone is to just look into the issue from the Islamic literature and uh, make your own judgments. Consult the people who are knowledgeable today and, and see what they have to say. Someone mentioned Chuck and Baz, but there are many, many, many others. Um, okay? <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, I clearly remember when reading the Hadith by Abu Qadi that one of the sayings uh, by the Prophet was that we shall not listen to music which comes from instruments played by air or by strings. I remember that very clearly. I, I can't cite the, the exact reference though. But my question is, <clears throat> more in the present day, I've noticed many groups coming up now using Islamic names, and specifically Paula Abdul. Are these people Muslims or are they just mimicking uh, Islamic names? And if they are, this seems to place a very bad effect on the Islamic society, and it seems to degrade all the work that we're trying to do to to put Islam in a, in a favorable, uh, acceptable light. They seem to be tearing it down quickly. Yeah, Paula Abdul. I, I hear that she's half Syrian, but I don't know if that's true. I hear that she's half Syrian, but she, she really does have a Muslim name. Uh, but be that as it may, uh, it's true that um, that many groups now use uh, use Muslim names. Um, um, I, I can think of several off the top of my head, Queen Latif and many others. Um, but this actually is representing something that's going on in America, the phenomena, which is actually the Islamic influence that's happening in America. You find many um, African Americans taking Muslim names even when they're not even uh, Muslim. And uh, this is because of the Islam has influenced the African American community tremendously in America, and it's gone to such an extent that um, names are very common. When I was teaching in elementary school in New York City, um, I ran into one child who was named Allah. <laughs> the boy's name was Allah. His parents you know, named him Allah. And many, many other names like that. And in fact, many names are invented because they sound sort of like Muslim names. So this is a phenomenon. This shows Islamic influence. Now, of course, <laughs> as Muslims, we have to try to correct this sort of thing. I mean, you say, hey, God, from here, you know, it's not acceptable. Um, but, um, you know, at least that does show some sort of Islamic influence, and we hope that in the future uh, that um, the Islamic influence will grow to the extent that they'll become Muslims and their Muslim names will be genuine, inshallah. Um, yes. Yeah, the brother asks, do I have any advice for people who are maintaining uh, their livelihood uh, through music? Well, my advice to anyone, Muslim or not, is to come to Islam. For the Muslim to uh, come back to Islam um, and to try to make it uh, something that, it, that um, comes into the totality of their life. Not just in, in one aspect of prayer or something else but to make Islam uh, something living in all of their life. So of course if somebody is, is uh, living their life and making their money doing something that it's, that's uh, forbidden, another example might be working in a bank or, um, or something worse than that, you know, working as a prostitute or something like this, 
the best thing to do is to try to leave that, which is bad, and replace it with something that's good. We, of course, should try to know our religion very well, so that there's no question about what's wrong and what's right, and to put into practice, like I mentioned earlier, reading the Quran. But better than reading the Quran is understanding the Quran and putting it into practice. That's my advice to myself and to anyone. Yes, brother? Uh, yeah, the, the brother mentioned the hadith. I, I don't have the hadith in front of me. I can't speak on its authenticity or anything. Um, but he, the brother mentions that the Prophet said that um, if someone leaves something for the sake of Allah, which is the meaning more or less, if someone leaves something for the sake of Allah, Allah will replace it. And, um, sure. Sure, if somebody leaves uh, something bad, uh, of course Allah will replace it. Allah is just and Allah will give us what we deserve. Or, um, hopefully will we'll give us uh, mercy and Allah will be just with us. So if we need something that's bad, we can be sure that Allah will reward us for it, if we're sincere. Inshallah. Any other questions? Okay, I hope that um, our discussion was helpful. I know it was helpful for me. Uh, I just want to remind us that um, all of us are in this life together, and we're in this dream together. And we must uh, work together and help each other. Okay? Um, Nobody is perfect. So when we, we stumble or when we fall or when we have problems, the brother should not be there to condemn, but to help, uh, lift up. So, um, inshallah, uh, we could be successful. The World Assembly of Muslim Youth, WAMI. The World Assembly of Muslim Youth was founded in 1392 of the Hijrah, that is 1972 of the Christian era. Its headquarters is in Riyadh, the capital of Saudi Arabia. The World Assembly of Muslim Youth is the first international Islamic organization dealing specifically with youth affairs. It embraces over 450 Islamic youth and student organizations in the five continents. Among the aims of WAMI are the following five. One, to serve the true Islamic ideology based on Tawheed, the unity of God. Two, to consolidate the factors which are necessary to establish an ideological unity among Muslims and to strengthen the Islamic fraternal relationship among the Muslim youth. Three, to introduce Islam to the world by using all available means. Four, to support the constructive role of youth and students in developing an Islamic society. Five, to assist Islamic youth organizations all over the globe by coordinating their activities and helping them to implement their projects. International conferences. 
Wyman holds an international conference every three years. Seven such conferences have already taken place. Five of them in Riyadh in the years 1972, 1973, 1976, 1979, and 1986. One in Nairobi, Kenya, in 1982, and another one in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, the participants were selected members of WAMI's General Secretariat and they discussed issues concerning Muslim youth. WAMI also holds and assists in holding local and regional youth camps in different parts of the world throughout the year in order to train Muslim youth in leadership and organization. The World Assembly of Muslim Youth, P.O. Box 10845, Riyadh, 11443, Four six two eight nine eight four four six two eight nine seven five and also fax zero one four six four one seven one zero. I'm Hani Mulayyam Kapadi, Riyad, Atlas, Harun Rashid Street, Exit Sixteen. or 462-8975. You may also reach Wami by sending a fax to 01-464-1710.